0: This morning, we're going to look at this story we just heard, which points to one of the challenges, one of the temptations, if you will, of politics for followers of Jesus. So we've been doing a series on what it looks like to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We said a disciple of Jesus is someone who seeks to live their life as Jesus would live it if he were them, to try and follow Jesus, to live a Jesus-shaped life. In this is a process, it's not something that happens instantaneously, it's a decision we make each and every day. And as we make those decisions, then we recognize we have to be changed, we have to be transformed. That the people we are now is, God wants us to be something more, and He does that through this process of spiritual formation, of spiritual transformation, and it's something that happens on the inside of us. As we open ourselves up and God's Spirit works and changes our thoughts, our ideas, our hopes, our emotions. And a couple weeks ago, we started and we talked about how we want to look at discipleship because discipleship is all of life. Discipleship isn't just something, following Jesus isn't just something for Sunday morning or during a Bible study, but it's every single aspect of life. It's doing the laundry. It's washing the dishes. It's the job we do. It's it's our work at school. It's the way we love our family, the way we love our kids. It's all of life. But in this season that we're in, I wanted to think about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in the context of politics. And I also, a couple weeks ago, described politics as something much bigger. Sometimes we think of politics and we have a very narrow view of what politics is. Politics often, for many of us, is just something we don't, especially now, don't want to hear anything more about. And politics is sometimes narrowed down to what we would call partisan politics, Democrat versus Republican and all that. But politics is really just about our life together. Politics is about deciding libraries, and fire departments, and police officers, and roads being fixed, and all those things, it's about life together. And so as followers of Jesus, we participate in politics, we participate in our common life because we love our neighbor. We want to see a difference made in the lives of our neighbors. Jesus called us to love God and to love our neighbors, and so to love our neighbors, one of the ways we do that is by participating in politics. And that's much more than voting, although that's an aspect of it. It's much more, it's all of our participation in our common life and to see our neighbors loved and to see flourishing done. But what I want to look at today is one of the temptations that we face when entering into politics. So if you have your Bible, turn to the passage we just heard, which is in Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. And so this story kind of we have to set it up what happens before. So, Jesus, Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 10, what comes before chapter 10, chapter 9, and chapter 8. And so what happens in those chapters is important for setting this up. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. and What's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to be crucified. And on his way to Jerusalem, three different times right before this passage, he tells his followers that he's going to die. He tells his followers that he's going to be handed over to the authorities, that he's going to be crucified and flogged, and that he's being given over to them. And so he's predicting what he's doing. And two of the previous occasions, one, his follower, his disciple Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And then in the second one, it's the same thing. The disciples, they don't understand what he's talking about. The third prediction of his death takes place right before the passage we just read. So I'm going to jump back a few verses. So verse 32 it says they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So that's the meeting setting. Jesus has just told his friends, just told his followers, I'm going to be crucified. He mentions rising again, but every other time he's mentioned it, it's kind of just gone right over their heads. And so now if you imagine yourself as a follower of Jesus and you've just heard him say, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, what's one of the questions that's going through your mind? Well, James and John, they say, teacher, um, can you do whatever we ask of you? What kind of question is that? I mean, who comes for I mean, imagine if your kids came to you, your grandkids came to you, it's like, oh, mom, dad, grandma, would you do whatever I ask? Because they're not quite ready to ask what they really want to ask. And so then they go on, and Jesus says, interestingly, he says, well, what do you want? And they say, well... Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. It seems that James and John have a picture of what Jesus is about to do. They have a picture of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and kicking out the Romans. They have a picture of Jesus sitting on a throne and they're imagining themselves when Jesus is sitting on the throne that one is sitting at his right and one is sitting at his left. They've got the corner offices. Their names are on the letterhead. They've got the special business card. They are sitting in the seats of power. They are sitting in the place of influence. And they're saying, Jesus, when you come into power, we want to be right there with you. We want to have influence. We want to be up there. And there's two aspects. One is they're just wanting the honor and the glory. We see later in the passage, Jesus also understands they're also wanting the influence, the power that comes along with sitting at his left, and at his right. And Jesus says, I don't think you know what you're asking for. He says, it's not for me to decide who sits at my left and my right. And it's interesting, all of the gospel writers make a point of calling attention to this idea of sitting at the left and at the right. And then later in the story, Jesus is crucified, and Jesus is not crucified alone, but instead The gospel writers all tell us that he was crucified along with two others. And they make a point of describing where those two were. One on his left and one on his right. And it's in part a way of saying, this was Jesus taking the seat at his throne. This was Jesus becoming the king was his death. And so when Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, He's saying, you have a picture of what power looks like. You have a picture of what it means to be in power, and I have a very different picture. They have a picture of what power looks like. And Jesus is saying, no, power looks like death on a cross. And so Jesus is saying, this is not appropriate. But he goes on, he says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them he's saying that's how the world around us works when someone's in power they use that power from the top down to make decisions and then he says it must not be so with you instead whoever wants to become great must be your servant he flips around what power looks like so as we look at this story, I want to think about one of the challenges for the Christian in politics is the temptation to power, the temptation to be seeking power. Jesus himself faced such a temptation. Earlier in his life, Jesus had gone out into the desert for 40 days. He's fasting, and the devil comes to him and tempts him. And one of the temptations is Jesus, Satan says to Jesus, look, look, Here's all the kingdoms of the world. You simply worship me and I will give you power over all those. Not just king of Israel. Not just ruler of the Mediterranean. But every single empire in the world. So Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted by power. The French philosopher Jacques Ellul said it this way. He says, politics is the church's worst problem. He may be overstating it a little bit, but here. Politics is the church's worst problem. It is her constant temptation, the occasion of her greatest disasters, the trap continually set for her by the prince of this world. And What's the temptation look like? Well, let's think about where we're at right now. We have a congregation And if we look around in the room here and take the people online and it's not a huge group of people, 70, 80, 90 people, but I would imagine even within that small group of people, all who live in one small section of the country, we might have a few differences of opinion on politics. We might have some different ideas about the way things work and some of it's the system, the way our government system is set up in the United States where in some sense, Because of a two-party system and setting aside that there are these other parties, we're often forced into a binary choice, choose this or that, right? And when we're forced into choose this or that, it sets two people at odds with one another, doesn't it? If we have a choice of this or that, but the question is, and as we think about even a binary system, a two-party system, looking back over the years of just looking at presidential elections, we realize our country is pretty well split down the middle. That year after year, when you look at the popular vote, there's not a big difference. I mean, a big win for a president is 60-40. That still means four out of every 10 people wanted the other person. So we live in this society where are these differences. And when we have differences, the question is how do we work those out? Well, in politics, the way we work those out is often to grab hold of power and impose our perspective. In politics, the idea is, well, we're going to get in power and then we're going to be in charge and we're going to put our will in place. We're going to impose our will. That's what Jesus talked about when he says, those who are regarded as the rulers of Gentiles, lord it over them to get into power and when you get into power, I mean any politician have, you, have any of you gotten political ads lately? No. Okay. So if you've gotten a political ad or two in the mail, what is they what do that what's the basic They all have a basic format for how they work, right? Part one of the format is if we don't get elected, the world is going to end, terrible things are going to happen, you know. If you get a flyer from the Republicans, it will list all the horrible things that are going to happen if the Democrats get into power. And if you get a flyer from the Democrats, it's going to tell you all the horrible things that are going to happen to the Republicans. So fear is the initial driver. But then what follows is that, but not if I get into power, because when I get into power, I'm going to use that power, and I'm going to impose my will and make my program in place. I mean, nobody runs for office and says, oh, when I become elected president, I'm going to let the other side do their thing. But instead, it's when I become governor, when I become city commissioner, when I become mayor, here is what I'm going to do because I have a plan, I have a program, and I'm going to impose my will, and I'm going to make sure this happens no matter what happens. That's what politics looks like. This is the quest for power. And Jesus says that's something. And so what I want us to think about is that quest for power in politics warps our soul. And it does it in three ways. One of the ways, number one, is the power or the quest for power can lead us to focus on ourselves rather than our neighbor. Because when we get those political ads, when we're thinking about going into the voting booth, when we're filling out our absentee ballot, however we're voting, often the temptation is to say, What do I want? What's going to benefit me? And that's what the James and John were looking. When they wanted to sit at the right and at the left, they weren't thinking about others. They were thinking about themselves. And the way of Jesus is love of neighbor. And so I've been thinking about that in this political season to say, when I go to the voting booth, And it certainly doesn't mean I'm setting aside all my self-interest. But what would it look like to go to the voting booth and say, what would be most beneficial to my neighbor? And then, of course, there's the question that Jesus would ask, or was asked of Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? But the temptation of political power is to focus on ourselves rather than our neighbor. The second Temptation, or the second way that political power can warp our soul, is that the power quest for power can become an idol. And I already alluded to that this whole idea that we get in so many of our rhetoric and the politics like, if we don't win this election, it will be whatever. My guess is that if you've been voting for any period of time, how many elections have you been through where you have heard the phrase? The most significant, this election is the most important one in your life, right? And my guess is, when 2024 rolls around, when 2028 rolls around, when 2032 rolls around, if we're still around and if we're still voting and Jesus hasn't come back, we're still going to be saying, This election is the one that will change if we don't get into power. And you see what's being said there is politics has become an idol. Michael Ware puts it this way. He says, politics is causing great spiritual harm. And a big reason for that is people are going to politics to have their inner needs met. Politics does a poor job of meeting inner needs, but politicians suggest they can do it if it will get them votes. The state of our politics is a reflection of the state of our souls. What he's saying is oftentimes we can turn politics and we just think politics is going to solve everything. Or if we don't elect the right person, and this is the language that's always, this, for lack of a better word, this world-ending language that so often gets used in political rhetoric. If this person is elected, it's going to mean the end of everything as we know it. But if I get elected, the world will be saved. And the other side comes on two minutes later on the commercial, and you hear the same words coming out of it every mile on a different side. And so what can happen in the temptation of politics for followers of Jesus is we begin to idolize politics and we begin to think and begin to believe in ourselves that politics are the hope of the world. And what Jesus wants to remind us is no. There is one hope of the world. The man Jesus who died on a cross. That's the hope of the world. So power... The quest for power can lead us to focus on selves rather than the neighbor. It can become an idol. And the third one is that the quest for power can warp our inner conviction and our witnesses. That when we seek political power, sometimes we can get so focused on gaining the power, we can lose our witness. We can get so focused, we forget about character, our witness, our loyalty to God. See this in the Old Testament, the prophets. I'm mean, going to just use one passage, just briefly. The book of Amos, chapter 7. So Amos is a prophet to God, and so in chapter 7, there's another prophet named Amaziah, and Amaziah is a prophet to the king. In other words, he works in the king's court. He works in the halls of power. And Amos has prophesied against the king that's in power. He's talked about what's going to happen, and then chapter 7, verse 10 of Amos, it says, "'Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel.'" Amos is raising a conspiracy against you at the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. And then he begins to take Amos' words and he begins to twist and to turn them. And he doesn't actually tell Jeroboam the king what Amos has said, but instead he's telling Jeroboam the king what Jeroboam wants to hear. So Amaziah, who is supposed to be a prophet, and the role of the prophet is what? to listen to God, and then to speak God to those in power. But Amaziah knows that if he tells, God, tells Jeroboam what God has said, that Jeroboam's going to lose his power, then what's likely going to happen? Amaziah loses his job. We know, I mean, this is not something we... we kind of, We know what that's like. If you get into these positions of power, sometimes the king... The mayor, the governor, the president, the prime minister, whatever, often don't want to hear the bad news. They often don't want to hear their critiques. And so sometimes in order to keep our job, in order to keep our position of power, we maybe hold back a little bit on the criticism. And that's what's happening here with Amaziah. And so we have to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus, do we ever get caught up? Do we get so caught up in supporting a politician, a party, that we choose to overlook or ignore completely some things because it's our team, it's our party? Do we ever look and say, well, you know, it's it's okay because they're on our side? Or we're afraid of losing that position of power. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, I know. I know about that, but what you're thinking about is the people you know on the other side who are like that. And so what God invites us to do is to begin to think, what does it look like in us? And so what I want to encourage us to do as followers of Jesus is to think about the politicians we support, the party we vote for. And take some time to seriously think if there are ways our support for that party or our platform might be compromising our witness. And I used that phrase a couple weeks ago from Justin Gibney when he talked about make sure we are choosing the witness over the win. Do we sometimes get so caught up in the win? The win for our side, the win for our party, the win for our politician, the win for our platform that we forego our witness. That we give up our character, the things we stand for because we say, well, but that's our team. I'm not saying it's, bad to have a team or to support someone. But what Jesus is saying here and what the example from Amos and Amaziah is that we have to be careful that in our quest for power, that in our quest for that, that we don't give up who we are and what we serve. We have to remind ourselves of this, that no one party perfectly reflects the way of Jesus that no one party has a monopoly. And the danger of the quest for power is that our ideology is shaped more by our party than by our life-transforming faith in Jesus. The danger of the quest for power is that our ideology is sometimes shaped more by the party than by our life-transforming faith in Jesus. So we have to look and we have to say, am I so caught up in the win that I'm losing my witness for Jesus? Number of years back, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons wrote a book called Unchristian, and one of the things they looked at was why people were leaving the church. And one of the reasons that many people had left the church or that they gave for leaving the church was the church was too political. And again, there's a balance to this as church were to be involved in politics. But what many of these people interviewed were saying was they saw the church as so focused on on politics and on getting the win in politics that the love of Jesus had gone out of their life. And so we have to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus, I have to ask myself, I said, am I so caught up in my party and in whatever platform and these things that I lose my witness for the sake of the win? So we have to ask ourselves, how do others see us if we're so closely attached to a party? And we've seen it even within political parties. We see politicians, many of... You ever seen a politician change their mind? And, sometimes, and, and I think sometimes that's a good thing when we see a politician. Sometimes politicians change their mind because they study and they look and they consider an issue. They're, they've grown in the issue but sometimes politicians change their mind to fit with their party in other words they to maintain power they look around and they say well my party's kind of moving this way and my character my morals tell me this but if i want to keep my position in the party i better change my thinking and it's happened both on the left and on the right Politicians looking and changing the way they look at things to remain in power. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean? Do we give up on politics? Sometimes I want to give up on politics. But it's a part of the life we live. And it doesn't mean we stop participating, but we ask ourselves, what might be lost by our winning? And to focus on the witness over the win. And so, But then in the end, we have to ask ourselves, is there a different way to do this? Is there a different way? Because the way of the world is to try and seize that power, to ask for the power at the left and right. And when we ask for that power, to have our souls warped, to begin the quest for power, to give up our witness for the sake of the win. But there is a different way. And Jesus tells us what it is. He says, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Now, the early church existed in a far different political arena, different format, different than we do right now. They lived in an empire, they had no votes, there was no democratic process. But the early church, though it was composed of people on the margins, though it was composed of sla- former slaves, of exiles, it exerted incredible influence. On the culture and the society around them. For the first several hundred years of the church, it became, people were looking and they were seeing the life of the church and they were changed. Now that changed dramatically in the fourth century when Constantine became the Roman emperor. And Christianity became the official religion and power became a thing for Christians and we began to see Christianity even some of their beliefs and characteristics change. And it got even to the point where in the 8th and 9th centuries, there were French kings who were Christians who conquered countries and basically said, if the people don't get baptized, slaughter them. You see, politics and power had warped the thing. But that early church, they lived the life of a servant. They were able to have immense influence on the world around them, not through politics and power, but through love. Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail said this. He said, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinions. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. The church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and the principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. See, we've been conditioned, we've been taught to believe that power is the way to do it, but it's not. The temptation to think that is that it won't work. We have the temptation to "But." we have a temptation to say, but that's how our society is set up. We have to have power in order to make a change. And the early church proved otherwise. And Jesus says otherwise. That's not the way. We have to be wary of justifying, the, of thinking that the ends justify the means. And ask for God's help to follow the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Or as Henry Nouwen puts it well, maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. He says, maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. So as we think about politics and about following the way of Jesus, I would invite us to ask a couple questions. Ask God to search our souls in connection to politics, to say, does my connection, does my involvement in politics? lead me to be seeking a power over, a desire to sit in the seat of power? And if so, what are the dangers to my soul, to my spiritual formation, and to my witness? Does my connection to politics lead to a quest for power? And if so, how is that shaping my soul? The second question would be, how can I live the life of a servant and follow the way of Jesus. How can I live out the hard task of love? And the only way we can do that is with God's help. And so may we be, and to borrow some other words from Martin Luther King's letter to a Birmingham Jail, letter from a Birmingham Jail. May we be extremists for love, was the language he used. Extremists for love. May we, in this world of politics, this world of division a world of a quest for power. May we be people who've changed and transformed by the love of Jesus. And may we become extremists for love. Amen.